Welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, if you would stand for our scripture reading, as was already mentioned, we are going to use the same one throughout this next section of our Radiant Life series. It'll take us up through Pentecost. This is a portion of the passage that we were encouraging you to read multiple times and even begin to memorize during the Lenten season. That was 17 verses. This is, what is that, 12, 33 verses. So my strong encouragement, just because of the power of these verses, but also we're going to sit in this passage for the duration of this next several weeks, to be reading this, to be reflecting on this. And if you read through this a few times each week, by the time this series is over, you'll have this memorized without even trying to, and that would be a good thing. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We spent the Lent season, the season of Lent, talking about the radiant life Jesus invites us into. And throughout the season of Lent, we were mostly referencing the old ways we are to put to death or put off or rid ourselves of Uh, And many of these old ways are mentioned earlier in Colossians chapter 3. Things like rid ourselves of old and unhealthy versions of religion. This kind of stifling legalism that can sometimes substitute for authentic Christianity. Or this sort of ought and should moralism. Where we get this notion that we're just supposed to go do things, the right things, even though we may not be becoming the right kind of people who naturally do the right things. We talked about ridding ourselves of old ways of thinking and old ways of feeling. These destructive narratives that get stuck in our minds about who we are or about how other people perceive us and we live out of the weakness of those flawed narratives. We talked about these sled grooves of shame and self-condemnation that get worn into our minds and we easily default back into. We talked about changing the way we perceive our own physical bodies and instead of rejecting our bodies, or maybe the more common thing is divorcing our bodies and our physical life from our spiritual lives, we talked about seeing our bodies as essential in our life with Jesus. And in terms of our our wills, the part of us that makes choices, what the Bible sometimes refers to as our heart, we talked about ridding ourselves of old and sinful choices that always and inevitably produce death and despair. So as the gospel of Jesus' kingdom permeates our being, the old is gradually stripped away. There is a stripping, a putting off process, and the new begins to grow. Well, Lent is now over. And Jesus is risen from the dead. And when he arose, as we like to say over and over again, when Jesus arose, a new world began where sin and evil and death are no longer the undefeatable powers. Jesus is alive. 
And now we are in this joyous season of what's called Eastertide, a season of celebration, a season of old things being made new and of dead things coming back to life. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19 that the exact same power that raised Jesus to life is now at work in those who trust him. And if you are part of Oak Hills, you know that every time we celebrate the Lord's table, every time we come to receive communion, we pray, may our lives be resurrection lives, always proclaiming the mystery of our faith. The power of God's spirit is at work in us to eradicate the old and bring forth the new so we live resurrection lives in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our bodies, in our wills and hearts, and in our relationships with one another. And this is a flourishing and genuinely good life. A resurrection life is a flourishing and genuinely good life where our inner character is gradually growing and becoming, believe it or not, like Jesus's inner character. So that who we are and how we relate to each other and how we respond to the various circumstances of our lives increasingly radiates the goodness and the beauty of Jesus and of his kingdom. It's just a gripping vision of the good news permeating our being and changing the way we live. Paul's metaphor in our scripture reading is that we are to clothe ourselves in Jesus's good way. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. And you'll notice these qualities have to do with how we relate to other people, how we see other people. These qualities have to do with our heart and our attitude toward those who have some kind of need. A radiant life, in other words, in the way we relate to one another. So from now till May 23rd, as Angela said earlier, all of the season of Eastertide up to Pentecost, we're going to continue our Radiant Life series by considering these new clothes we are to wear as Jesus' resurrection people. So Lent was a season of putting off. Eastertide is a season of putting on. And each week we'll take one piece of clothing listed in this Colossians passage and we'll attempt to put it on and we'll attempt to live it out. So let me start by talking about the fact that these are the clothes we were made to wear. I know that some of you have been wondering all morning, what in the world is he doing wearing shorts? And this casual three-quarter zip pullover. I know it's been on your minds. I can see it on your face when I come up to you and say nothing and you do this little up and down thing on me. Like, what was he thinking? Or, like our beloved Fran, she just outright said to me, You've got your jammies on today. What are you doing? (laughs) Shorts, pullover, along with my New Balance dad shoes, apparently. I was told these are dad shoes, which I found rather unkind. I might seem underdressed for this esteemed church setting. Well, the reason for my casual attire, and there is one, is that this is what I feel comfortable in. 
This is the kind of thing I wear 99.26% of the time in my life. Because these clothes feel right. They feel like me. Suits and ties are straight jackets. Nice collared shirts and pants, to me, not saying to you, but to me, feel like a uniform. This is the kind of clothing that fits and aligns with who I am. So if you'll permit me, I was made to wear these kind of clothes. There's a second reason I did this today, and that's because I hate trying to figure out what to wear each Sunday. And this just was easy, plus I could spiritualize it and get away with it. So that's what I did. (laughs) Well, in these Colossians verses we just read, Paul says those who are in Christ, fascinating way he gets into this, those who are in Christ are God's people, made holy by his sacrifice at the cross, members of his family. We are, he says, God's beloved. And as Jesus' people, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love are the clothes we were made to wear. They're the clothes that fit perfectly with who we were created to be in the first place and with who Jesus has rescued us to become. See, these are the kingdom qualities. We individually and we communally are to display in our interactions with one another and with the world. Now, here's the thing. While these clothes of compassion and kindness and so on, they may fit us well, they may be exactly the clothes we were designed to wear. There is no doubt about it that they may be unfamiliar clothing to us. And it might feel different. They might feel different to us at first. But I would suggest to you, these are the clothes of a human being who is fully alive under King Jesus. Living this way and relating to others this way is good. It's beautiful. It's right. And here's the kicker. When we live this way and relate to others with compassion and humility and forgiveness and patience and the rest, we find joy. Real, authentic, lasting, sustained joy when we live this way. And it kind of makes sense if you want to look at it from just a what makes sense way. Compassion towards someone who is suffering is just better than apathy about that person. Or disinterest. Or I don't care, it's not my problem. Compassion is just better and more fulfilling than blaming the person. Well, they deserve that. When we practice compassion towards someone who is hurting or someone who is suffering, it just kind of seems good. And it seems superior to sort of pointing a finger at them and going, well, they brought this on themselves. Colossians 3 and verse 10, we have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. It's one of those verses that easily slides off the tongue, but often the miracle of it is missed. Through Jesus, Paul says, we are being renewed in the image of our creator. Renovated to be like him. And these qualities of compassion and humility and all the rest 
are part of the image of God. Jesus wore the clothing of compassion, kindness, humility, forgiveness, and all the rest in his interaction with others. And he wants these same qualities to radiate in and through us. And it's quite obvious the world desperately needs these attributes. I mean, just ask the simple question, what does our world need more of, compassion or blame? Compassion or our world needs more people going, well, I don't care. It's not my problem. What does our world need more of? People of humility or people walking around thinking they're the center of the universe? What does our world need more? People who meet harshness with more harshness? Or people who respond to harshness with Holy Spirit-inspired gentleness? The world desperately needs these kingdom attributes and it needs to see them in individuals and in a people. So for the next several weeks, we want to quite literally invite God's Spirit to help us put these clothes on and ask God each week for opportunities to demonstrate His goodness and beauty by living out these attributes in our everyday life situations. So this series is going to involve a lot of practicing or I would encourage us to be practitioners in this series. Take risks, take action, move on these things. Uh, Angela mentioned that this guide that we're using throughout this series is in the app. It's on the website. Actually, if you look at the app and look at the uh, order of service in the app, there's a button you can click and download the app. And each week of this series, there are practices to engage in and things that can help us put these kingdom clothes on. Let's talk for a moment about God's compassion. The word compassion means to suffer with. It's a pretty simple concept. Wearing the clothes of compassion means noticing those who suffer, moving toward them to be with them in their suffering, and doing whatever we can to alleviate their suffering. So the clothes of compassion relate to human suffering and pain. This kingdom quality of compassion has to do with the injustices in our world. It has to do with how we interact with those who are hurting, with those who are suffering, how we interact and respond to the poor, to the weak, to the forgotten, and to the discarded. And the foundation of our compassion is God's compassion. Throughout the Bible, we read that God is, and this phrase is there all over the place, gracious and compassionate. In 2 Corinthians, Paul calls God the Father of all compassion. And in the Gospels, we find Jesus encountering various situations where he saw people who were lost or lonely or sick or struggling, and we are told this wonderful phrase, he was moved with compassion. It's a compelling picture. The word for compassion in the New Testament is similar to our word for guts. Think of it as a visceral reaction to another person's suffering. We feel it with them. See, it bothered Jesus to encounter the hungry or sick or leprous or blind. He was actually deep in his soul and emotionally affected by those who were grieving the loss of a loved one. He was moved in his spirit, in his emotions, by those who were being religiously bullied. And when his guts were churning, he oftentimes would take action 
to feed, to heal, to comfort. When the Good Samaritan, in that parable, when the Good Samaritan saw the stranger beaten and suffering in the middle of the road, the parable says he was moved. That's that word again, guts, to act. In the parable of the prodigal son, when the father sees his son returning home, Luke 15, the Bible says this great thing, when he saw his son, he was filled with compassion. That's that word again. Down in his guts. And he ran down the driveway to him. And he wrapped his arms around him and kissed him and welcomed him home. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on a Sabbath. And while he was teaching, he saw a woman in the crowd who had spent 18 years of her life bent over at the waist and unable to straighten up. And right there, in the middle of the service, on the Sabbath, he broke all the rules and he called her forward. And he proceeded to heal her. Why? Because when he saw her, he was moved to do something about it. That's compassion. See, Jesus felt the suffering of others churning in his guts. Their suffering was his suffering. Their suffering was another reminder of a world that lacks shalom. A world where some flourish, if they have means and money and privilege... But many don't flourish. And Jesus saw this, and he felt this, and he sought to do something about it. See, this is who God is, for starting point. This is how God sees the world. This is how God sees you and me. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. I would suggest that last sentence of that verse contradicts how many of us think. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. That means everywhere there is suffering and brokenness and pain, God suffers with those who suffer. The whole redemption story, Jesus coming to earth, his life and ministry, his crucifixion and resurrection, originates in God's compassion for people like us, lost, broken, sinful, flawed, frail, weak, desperate. Jesus left the comfort of heaven, the privilege, if you will, of heaven, to be with us and help us in our suffering. So we are recipients of his compassion. So the starting point of putting on the clothes of compassion is a fresh encounter with God's compassion ourselves, a reset. So we remember, and this is essential, we remember we are the lost, the lonely, the hurting, the sinful, the blind, the broken, the beggar, the lame, the leper. We are that person And God has been compassionate toward us. We must never forget that we are the desperate and the weak and the broken and the vulnerable. And without God's compassion, we would still be trapped in all the ugliness of the old. When we forget we are recipients of God's compassion, then compassion becomes merely an option. It becomes a maybe. If certain terms are met, 
or it becomes a thing to do for those who are into that sort of thing instead of the way of the kingdom in a hurting world. Let's talk about compassionate. Compassion acts now and analyzes later. I'm a first grader when it comes to compassion. I am married to someone who is a tenured professor of compassion at Harvard. She knows how to do this. She was driving to work recently. She's a nurse at a surgical facility. And she was drive, as she was driving down the road, she saw a turtle crossing the road. Sounds like the start of a joke. But this turtle was near a park, but it wasn't near any water. And it didn't look right to Julie. The turtle looked lost and lonely and scared. I'm not sure how Julie got all this info out of the turtle, but apparently she did. So she pulled the car over, went and picked the turtle up, and started knocking on doors in the nearby neighborhood and asking if they had lost a turtle. Now, can you imagine ever doing that? I certainly can't. Can you imagine responding to a stranger at your door asking if you lost a turtle? Um, let me check. Nope, all of our turtles are on the couch watching TV. They're watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So Julie put the turtle in the passenger seat. I think she buckled the turtle in just to be safe. She drove to work. She brought the turtle into the surgery center. She showed her coworkers, who were slightly less enthused than she was about this. She hooked an IV to the turtle and started to give it nourishment. No, I'm kidding. She put the turtle back in the car, and then later in the day, she drove to a pond, and she set the turtle free. And I've been astounded by this story ever since I heard it. I was asking her again last night. I said, so where was the turtle? And I found myself, I'm inquiring about this turtle that Julie picked up in the middle of the road. Here's what I would have done. The turtle's walking across the road. I'm driving down the same street. I would have honked at it. (laughs) Hurry up, get out of the road. Or I might have thought, this is more likely what I would have done, what's a turtle doing here? But then the conversation in my head would have convinced me that the right thing to do was to do nothing. Well, maybe Mr. and Mrs. Turtle took the little turtles to the park today. So I don't want to disrupt that. Maybe Mr. Turtle is running away from home. I want to give him his freedom to do that. Some analysis would start off in my mind to justify inaction. See, when Julie feels compassion churning within, she takes action. When I feel it, I analyze it so I can talk myself out of having to do anything. In a wonderful book called Compassion, the authors write these words. Compassion asks to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full full immersion in the condition of being human. Let me ask you something. Who are the hurting in your life today? Where do you see or hear or suspect pain in your everyday life adventures? Where do you, in your normal course of life, where do you encounter the lonely, the weak, the vulnerable, the powerless? I would suggest to you right there, those are the ones 
Jesus is inviting you to move toward, suffer with, and help if you can. See, in a hurting world, the clothing of compassion is exactly the clothes we want to wear and that fit us well. But we've probably been conditioned, I certainly have, trained through all sorts of ideologies and experiences to walk right past another person's pain and not get involved, not muddy our feet or dirty our hands in the messes of others. And certainly, and obviously, we have to have boundaries and all that. We have to accept the fact that there's more pain and suffering in this world than we can alleviate. But people who live in comfortable places, like many of us do, are sometimes conditioned to hide behind fences and garage doors so we don't have to deal with the interruption of another person's suffering. Now, I don't know where you stand on this, but I know I withhold compassion because I'm skeptical about the outcome of my actions. I think too much. I analyze too much. And to say it more starkly and concretely, I'm more concerned with my compassion producing some sort of storybook ending or making a difference than I am with the person who is actually hurting. And that's what keeps me from engaging. Thank God that he did not withhold his compassion toward humanity based on their projections about what the response would be. A few years ago, I had a meeting with someone whose name I did not recognize. His name was on my calendar. I had no idea who he was. We sat down one Friday afternoon, and the guy had a folder next to him about this thick, and he began his story with something like this. When we're finished with this meeting, whatever you decide to do, I'm okay with. So don't feel any pressure. I just want to tell you my story. And for the next 90 minutes, he talked, and I listened, and I heard one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. And throughout the process, one of my thoughts was, this story is too incredible. Suspicion was churning in me because I'd been scammed before. And this had some of the signs of a scam. But here's the thing, I couldn't brush it aside. Perhaps this thing that Jesus felt where he was moved or this thing that Julie feels where she's moved, perhaps that was churning in me. I think it was on that day. He told me this story, success, money, friends, then job loss, housing loss, deep despair, financial ruin, and much, much more. Now, those of you who know me or have been here a while probably realize that I am mostly unimpressed with who I am, and I frequently flash signs of the old self. My old self, you might say, is very often, too often, my prominent self. So I'm more than capable of walking right past a hurting person without even noticing or caring. But I also, and I suppose this is a good thing, I like being with people in the midst of their struggles and pains and sufferings. In fact, I gravitate toward those who are shattered or who are shattering or toward those who know themselves well enough to know they are a shattered person still in the process of being renovated by King Jesus. I gravitate toward people like this. Being with people in their trials and in their sufferings feels like the frontier of the kingdom of God. And redemption and reconciliation often feels like it's right around the corner. And I like being with those, going through those kinds 
of time. So on that Friday afternoon, I had doubts, I had concerns, but something churned in me that said, help this guy. Something kept stirring in me. So I moved toward him, tried to suffer with him, and then offer help. Compassion. So time spent, phone calls made, hotels booked, car rentals paid for, money spent, time invested, and here's the point. I might have been scammed. Or he might have been an angel in disguise. But this is what I'm certain of. I'm certain that showing compassion on that Friday afternoon was right and good and beautiful, and it shaped me. I'm certain wearing the clothes of compassion on that day was infinitely better than slamming the door in the guy's face or choosing to do nothing. That day, my compassion needle moved a little bit in the right direction. So the way of compassion is by no means a rule to follow every single time. It's a quality of the kingdom. It's a characteristic of Jesus. And when we live our everyday lives wearing the clothing of compassion with our eyes and our ears open, the Spirit of God will bring the hurting into our lives. He will do that. If we live with our eyes open, if we live with our ears open, there is so much hurt, so much suffer in the world. If our eyes are open and our ears are open, the Spirit of God will bring the hurting into our lives. And I have to say, again, I'm a rookie at it, but it's a rather thrilling way to live. Compassion is deliciously risky, we might say. There's a deep level of joy in practicing compassion. There's a measure of fulfillment that is surprising and good. So let's talk lastly about the practice of compassion. And I might surprise you with this because this is going to be really brief and I'm not really going to get into all the particulars of what we could do that is compassionate. You can find a lot of those things in the guide that is in our app and on our website. But again, I want to remind us that compassion is part of the newness that the resurrected Jesus, by the power of his spirit, is cultivating in us. We are becoming compassionate people. And people who are becoming compassionate have compassion routinely and easily flowing out of them. It's not a rule. It's not a to-do. It's a way of living. So here's my thought with regard to the practice of compassion. Start with the hurting that we already interact with and with the hurting we already intersect with. We don't have to go out looking for this. Wear the clothes of compassion with the people that are already around us in the normal course of our lives, maybe in our own families, at school, at work, in our neighborhood, at church, as we're running errands around town. Who are the ones who are suffering? Who are the ones who are hurting? Move toward them to be with them and offer help if possible. But the key is this. Eyes and ears open. Or as we sometimes say, and I think this is a good way to think of this, present to the presence of God and others in our everyday life experiences. Eyes and ears open. 
present to the presence of God and others in our everyday life experiences. I was flipping through C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters recently, just rereading portions of it, and there's one of them, one of the installments where, if you're familiar with the book, it's a uh, senior devil writing to a junior devil, basically telling him how to keep Christians from being effective in their life with God. And there's one whole thing on keep them distracted. Keep them busy. If you keep them busy, you don't have to make them bad. Because if you keep them busy, their eyes will be shut, their ears will be closed, and they'll walk right past the wonder of what God is up to in this life. The key to the practice of compassion is for you and I to live in everyday life with our eyes and ears open where we are present to the presence of God and others in our everyday life experiences. So it's this kind of a posture each day. Jesus, give me eyes and ears to see and hear the hurting and the courage to do something about it. Do you realize that if we were to just as a practice together, as an exercise together, if every single person who heard some portion of this were to say, you know what, I'm going to do this for a week. I'm going to put myself in a posture at the beginning of every day. Jesus, give me the eyes and ears to hear and see the hurting in my life and the courage to do something about it. Do you realize the stories that would emerge out of our everyday life of God showing up and using us to bring compassion to a deeply wounded and hurting world? I want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment as we finish this. And I just want to ask you, in the presence of God, I don't, won't and don't want to, nor should I tell you, quote-unquote, what to do. That's for the Spirit to sort out with you. But I'd like to give you a chance just to come back to this breath prayer that Angela led us in. This idea of, what's the Spirit of God want to do through me in terms of compassion toward those who are hurting in my everyday life? Whose name comes to mind? Whose face? What situation? As you know, sometimes pain hides behind smiles. Invite God's Spirit to bring to mind a face, a name, a family, person, a friend, an enemy. And as we breathe in and think about this, God, you overflow with compassion. And as we breathe out, we ask God, grow in me compassion like yours. Holy Spirit, we come to you today as people that are elated that you have risen from the dead, that power is available, that you are on the move, that you are alive and with us. And we ask for your Holy Spirit, I would ask for your Holy Spirit today and throughout this week to take us into an adventure of compassion, that we would wear the clothes of compassion, that we would see those who are hurting in our lives. We would hear their hurt, and we'd have the courage to help where possible. So we ask you to 
bring people and situations and circumstances across our path and keep us alert and attentive to you and what you're doing that we might wear the clothes of compassion and minister to those who come our way. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.